how do they line up with the biblical parenting that God teaches us? Well, uh, this morning, I, I can tell just by looking out at a few of you that it's football Sunday because I see some of the jerseys on this morning. And of course, this afternoon at one o'clock, we're uh, going to open up the church and our big screen for some panther bear action this morning. You know, sometimes people ask me over the years, uh, is it okay to be praying for the game and praying for my, my team? And I would say, you know, as a Panther fan, uh, for you guys as Panther fans, that, that uh, it's probably necessary to be praying uh, as well. Um, but as you know, uh, I am a Bears fan, so it's, uh, uh, it's appropriate. But, but know that our prayers would be coming from two different angles today. I'm not sure what the Lord does with that. So I thought we better go to the scriptures this morning and, uh, uh, and make sure that the Bible doesn't have something to teach us this morning. So in my uh, deep study this week, uh, this is what I came up with. Second uh, Kings 2.42 tells us, He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. <laughs> 42, that's most of the team. Um, there really is no arguing with the Word of God. Uh, Especially when it's used in the appropriate context, as we, as we are this morning. So, um, so there you go. Your, your prayers are no longer necessary. Join us this afternoon if you want. We just wanted to offer a fun family time where you could hang out a bit in the afternoon and, and, uh, and just hang around and watch some football. We're not providing a big lunch and stuff, so don't come expecting too much, but uh, come expecting some fellowship and fun. So today we're co- concluding our series on families at their best. And I believe that the number one priority for Christian parents is to raise our children to be spiritual champions. We've talked about some practical things up to now, but the number one priority is for, for us as parents is to raise spiritual champions. You see, as parents, we are entrusted with, the, with caring for and equipping our kids for life in a real world. And that is an unbelievable responsibility, Right? And so this morning we're going to talk about that a little bit. Someone once said, children are the one thing we leave behind that tell the whole world what we were like. It's pretty true. It's pretty true. It's also pretty scary. And so this morning we'll talk a little bit more. So the question is this, how do we download our faith and our values and we guide our children and prepare them for the real world? How do we do that? Many of us as Christian parents, like we have the goals wrong. We just have it messed up a little bit when it comes to Christian parenting. We want our kids to make good grades or get into a good college or excel in their sports or or music. We want them to choose a career that uh, will be beneficial for them financially we want them to be popular, or at least well-liked with their friends. And, and all these things, though none of them are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, that is not the primary goal. That is not what God has primarily called us to as Christian parents. Our goal is to see our kids develop godly character. And so that's, so that's where we go. So how do we raise spiritual champions? Then the question, we really have to learn to prioritize our values. We have to learn to figure out what our values are and then communicate them and model them to our kids so that they will then duplicate them and live them out in their own lives. You see, as a kid leaves home when they're, when they're grown up at, at 18 years old or 22 or um, 39, when they, uh, when they move along, they know what the values are in that home. They know I want to do something this morning just for the next couple minutes. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to just take 30 seconds to discuss it. Now, I know it's, 
it's kind of a, an intimate uh, setup here, and so I know the person next to you can hear your voice as you're talking. Um, I hear you as you're talking during the sermon, so knock that off, huh? But I want to ask you a question. Um, If you're here husband and spouse this morning, or or mom and dad, I want you to discuss it for just a second. Maybe as grandparents you can discuss this. Um, If you're single here this morning, you can discuss it with the person next to you, or you can just talk out loud, and that'd be fine too. But here's the question. What are the two main values in your family? What are the two main values? If I were to pull your kids aside and I could articulate it in their terms, what would they answer? The two main values. Go ahead, start discussing. I'll give you about 30 seconds to process that. What are the two main values? All right, good. You got to discuss a little bit. Some of you are having a hard time coming up with one, so uh, I would say listen up even more in the message today. Uh, some of you came up with a big list, and um, so you may or may not be fooling yourself. So let's, uh, let's look at it, and we'll walk through this morning. So um, I want to look at two values that I believe really are important to our family. They're essential. If you look at God's Word, you could come up with quite a list of values that's important for us as parents to build into our kids. I want to talk about two this morning that are, that are very significant. The first is this, just knowing and serving Jesus. Knowing and serving Jesus. This is a, la- a life value. And it's not a religious value. Notice I didn't say there, are you religious? Um, do you simply go to church? You know, what, uh, what's your Christian activity like? Do you say your prayers at mealtime? Without a doubt, the most important value for you and for your family is knowing and serving, loving Jesus. That's the core of it. In fact, it's so important that really the main theme of God's Old Testament in Scripture is this value. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us more about raising our children as spiritual champions than really, I think, any other passage in Scripture. As mom and dad, I'd like to encourage you to look at this passage we're going to talk about for a few minutes over and over and over and over again, and let it be the benchmark for your parenting. Take a look at it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your kids. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. If you have your Bible, underline that phrase, impress them on your children. Highlight it, mark it, that should be a key verse. Well, how do you impress values on your kids? Well, fortunately, the Bible goes right on to talk to us about it. It says, talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down or when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. How do you make this core value, knowing and serving Jesus, a reality? Well, first off, parents, we have to be direct. You hear me? We have to be direct. Listen to what the Scripture says, impress. Impress. Be intentional. Be direct. We have to impress these values on our kids. We live in a culture that tells us, let your kids figure out spiritual issues on their own. That's not what the scripture tells us. Impress them on your kids. Decide in advance the impression you want to make on your kids about the importance of Jesus Christ. I think one of the the most important things we can do 
for them is impress on them the importance of worshiping and of serving. Often in our lives, worship ends at about 11.30 or 12 o'clock, depending what church you go to. It picks back up the next week, somewhere around 10.30 uh, or 11. But impressing on them the value of worship and serving. I believe my wife received really a head start in life, and the reason I believe this is because she grew up with two God-fearing parents. In fact, if you talk to Cherie, she would tell you she can't remember missing two weeks of church in the first 18 years of her life because it was a value of her parents. Her parents were served really faithfully for 50 years in the church. And so she grew up with this as a value. Church is first, God's family is first, everything else on Sunday is on hold, and as a family, they were there, number one priority. Serving was another area that Sri got a head start on because her parents, she got to sit back and watch them model this for 50 years. Now, she's not 50 years old, uh, but she got to watch it for a long time. You get the point. And whether you, they realize it or not, or any of us realize it or not, those values are impressed on their kids. And so, therefore, that is Sri's value, being in God's house, serving Christ, knowing him. Those were transferred. For me, one of the most difficult things happened when my sons uh, began to play baseball at a little league in Arizona. Now, some of you have gathered up till now that I'm somewhat of a baseball fan, and uh, so when my kids got to the age that they were able to actually play, this was an awesome time in my life. I was about as proud as you could get, and I signed them up, I paid the fee, I took them to practice, but soon I was handed a schedule which gave me all the game layouts, and I discovered that many of the games were on Sundays. No Saturday games. They were on Sundays, meaning my kids would miss church. Some of them were at the neighboring Little League, which was a little bit of a drive for us out there, meaning my kids would miss about 10 Sundays in a row of church. You know, when I questioned a board member about this, I got kind of a surprised answer. They told me, we found that people will just miss church to play, so there's really no reason to change it. We chose to tell our boys that they couldn't participate in the games that took them away from church. That was a hard decision for us. As a dad who loves baseball and was proud of the day that my kids could now play it, and yet I felt like it was being taken away. But we thought to let them miss that much church was sending a conflicting message. I want my kids to understand that the worship of Jesus is the most important thing, more important than anything and that we're, even though we're called to worship seven days a week, that Sunday morning worship experience simply cannot be duplicated during the rest of the week. Now, I, I don't tell you this story because it makes me any holier than anyone else. It's being direct. It's being direct. What impression are you making on your kids when it comes to worshiping and knowing Jesus? Stats tell us that people in America who say they have a church home, they go to church about 1.5 weeks out of the month about 1.5 out of, out of four Sundays in a month. What are we really saying to our kids, parents? We're not saying to our kids that we love Jesus more than anything. We're saying that worship is optional and that we'll be in church as long as nothing more important comes up. It's a value. Remember last week we talked, men, a little bit about this, and we didn't, we didn't say this had anything to do with taking a family vacation, getting away, being sick, having a work project come up. This is about setting habit in our families and in our lives. And 1.5 doesn't equal habit in most of our American families. 
So what impression really is your question? What impressions are you making on your kids about Jesus Christ? Remember, first, you've got to be direct. Secondly, we have to be daily. You Maybe you've heard the phrase that uh, values are, are caught more than they're taught. Have you heard that? Meaning kids see it and pick up on it much more than your words teach it. And that's why Christian education, it should be so life-oriented and not just simply information-oriented. Jesus didn't take his disciples for three years and open a, you know, a textbook curriculum that he walked through with them. I mean, he had the Word of God. But he didn't say, here, guys, here's what we're going to study, and we're going to do it in these different modular uh, ways. He shared his life on a daily basis. And as he went around, if you read the Gospels, you'll see how many times Jesus said, hey, look at this. This is like, look at this. The kingdom of God is like. He shared on a daily basis as he went along. The truth, really, though, it has to be in you before it can be in your children. Do you realize that? That the truth has to be in you. So you have to live a daily Christian life, and then you're able to share on a daily basis with your kids what the life of Christ is all about. Let's look at our passage again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's basically life-based. It's this daily transferring of values. Talk with them as you sit at home, or when you walk along the road, when you lie down, or when you get up. May I add to there, when you're riding in the car, when you're watching TV, when you're, you're walking at the mall, when you're playing on the computer. You see, if we want our kids to follow God, then we have to make God part of their everyday expressions. Every day as you walk along the road. It means we don't let things pass that are ungodly. We look at them and we use the opportunity to teach into our kids. You know, that's why I think we struggle as Christian parents sometimes. We see God as, as part of what we do once a week, but we don't always let him into our families, into our businesses, into our activities at play, at work. And so, in other words, instead of being 24-7 Christians, we become one of seven Christians. You know what I'm talking about? It's so easy to sink into that mode. I've been there myself. It's just one day a week that we incorporate God into everything we do, and then we kind of forget for six weeks. In parenting, it has to be daily. We have to daily be teaching our kids. So direct and daily, and out of this daily life, we also have to be devout. Devout's not a word we use in Scripture anymore, or excuse me, in, in churches much anymore. Certainly in the contemporary church world, devout is not used as much. Devout simply means you are locked in, dedicated to something. It has nothing to do with anyone else. It has to do with your own motivation and your own drive in this area. You may know this by now, but you can't simply preach or force-feed your kids when it comes to this, this type of things. You have to express the joy of what living a life in Christ is all about. That when they latch on to how incredible it is, they want to be a part of it as well. Just on Friday night, we took a group of guys to see Courageous. And uh, I noticed that for several of you that went to see it with us, you were so impacted that it showed up on your Facebook or I got a text message or things like that uh, in that. Well, my brother is somebody in my life who I, I just badly want to see the Lord touch. Badly. For years I've been praying for him. I called him up Friday night on the way home. Being a three-hour time dis difference, I could call him pretty late. And I just said, man, Andy, you, you need to go see this movie. You just really need to go see it. And out of my surprise, he said, okay, I guess I'll go see it tomorrow. This was a huge step. 
Yesterday afternoon, he called me after seeing it, and he said, basically, in his terms, he said, well, let's talk. And we did. And we sat and talked about what it looked like to be a Christian dad. And we talked about what it would be like to live a, a life that is devout myself and then influence my kids in that. And it was a powerful conversation, one that, though it's not easy for him and even sometimes myself with him to talk about such subjects, it was one that went on about 40 minutes and, and I was blessed because of it. It's about, guys, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yourself, owning your faith, knowing that Christ died for you, receiving it, claiming it, living it out, and then having that platform to share the joy of that life with your kids. Parents, if you're a parent this morning and you don't really know the Lord as your Savior, or you've said the prayer and you've had the church services, but you know for yourself there's not a lot of ownership in your faith, this is the starting point for you. This is the starting point to say, I've got to get right with God and be devout myself, own my own faith. You see, remember, the goal as parents is to pass on the baton of faith to our children so when they leave home and establish their own home, that they will continue that faith. You know, in track and field, there's this event uh, called the relay where four men or four women, they run equal distances around the track, sometimes all the way around, sometimes partway, but equal distances. And you'll know to, to mark the end of their distance and the start of somebody else, they will hand off a baton. You've probably seen this on TV and seen them running. Two things you might find interesting, though. Uh, first, the runner has to have the baton to be able to pass it to the next one. Do you know that? Have you ever seen the race? I've seen it on an ESPN blooper where somebody began the race not holding the baton and had nothing to pass to the second person. The second thing is if the baton is not passed uh, correctly, if it was dropped to the ground, that whole team is eliminated, meaning there is a huge consequence if the baton is not passed well. It's the same in owning our own faith and being devout as parents. We have to have something to pass along we can't launch into it and run the race there and have nothing to give and pass along. And in the passing along, we need to be wise about how we pass along our faith and daily with our kids. Otherwise, there's great consequences involved. So mom and dad, what are you doing to impress the value of knowing and serving Jesus in your family? Remember, as Christians, our number one responsibility, it's not good grades or excelling in sports. And I enjoy getting out there just just as much as you do with my kids. It's not even being liked by our friends. Those things are okay. But the number one responsibility is getting your kids to know and to serve Jesus Christ. Second, our core value this morning, I said we were going to talk about too, is building relationships. You know, life is all about relationships with others and your family and your church, at work, at play, anywhere you go, really. And the Bible uh, speaks to us over and over and over about relationships and how we build relationships. Here's just a couple I put in for you this morning. Honor one another above yourselves from Romans 12:10. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5:21. Luke 6:28 is even bolder and it says pray for those who mistreat you. Those are all relationship building type of passages. There's many more you could look up. But the question is why in the world would relationships be so important in transferring God values to our kids. Because really, relationships, they have to come first, or at very least, they have to be involved with the whole rules approach at home. You, you know that relationships 
have to be laid down and established first with your kids for this to work really well. Maybe you've heard this phrase. I certainly didn't make it up. Rules plus regulations minus relationships equals rebellion and resentment. You ever heard that? Is that not so true? That's why relationships, they have to come before the, the rules. The, the, the rules can't just be laid down without the relationship. The Bible has taught us from, first, from the beginning to the end on how the family relationship is a model uh, for health. If you're a parent, you know this because you've said, you know, I'm the parent, do this because you know, these are the rules. And you know that if they're not respecting you or the, the, the relationship is not healthy, at some point you're going to face some type of of rebellion. If you're a coach or teacher or person of authority, and you just say, do this because I'm over you, I'm the person of authority here, and you have to do it, you know it's not nearly as smooth as there's some relationship that's been built up already. Ephesians 6 says this, children, obey your parents. <laughs> now, this is good stuff, parents, right? Because you can go home now and say to your kids, hey, listen up, you, know, you need to obey me. The Bible says it. We talked about it this morning. Um, well, this is the right thing to do. The Bible teaches the right thing to do is for kids to honor their mother and their father. Sometimes kids say, hey, I was raised by parents that I don't honor much because they didn't do good stuff sometimes. They weren't as godly as another person's family. The Bible still tells us to honor our mother and father because if we don't honor our mothers and fathers who raised us, then we carry on this resentment and rebellion in our future and to our future kids. And that's why it said, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That if you honor your mother and father, you'll have long life. It's this relationship-building thing that we're teaching, the honoring there. <coughs> How do you instill uh, this value of, of building relationships into your kids? That's the question. That's the tough one, building relationships. Well, first of all, you know, it takes a lot of time. Did you know that? Have you ever noticed, as parents, everything just seems to take so much time if it's done well? Sierra just got a little Hello Kitty braid book. Have you seen these? You open up, and it's got a little book, and it's also got threads and beads and all kinds of stuff. And I was looking at this thinking, I'll help you make uh, a bracelet. And I was thinking, I'll take one string, and then I will just weave all of the beads through the one string and tie it together, and she can wear it as a necklace, right? It's not how it works in the Hello Kitty braid world. Um, I had to follow these intricate designs, and there was a uh, complicated, I thought, three apple measuring rod, one apple meaning not as hard, two a little bit harder, and three, you know, you need a college degree in this to, to even attempt. I chose to stay with the single apple, um, realizing after I read the first paragraph that uh, um, I was hoping there might be one with a half apple uh, somewhere because I wasn't getting it. Um, Man, that took a lot of time to make one braid. Um, okay, it took a lot of time to make half the braid. That's where I stopped. Um, that's what it takes. I don't want to necessarily get an argument of whether it's quality time or quantity time, but the key today is we often just don't spend enough time with our children. We just don't spend enough time. You know, living here, like especially in a city with lots of options for activities, it's so hard. And even myself, I've had to ask myself, how do I do this? You know, I coach their teams and such and do that kind of stuff. But we have a difficult time in spending time with our kids. According to USA Today, young people ages 8 to 11 use electronic media up to 53 hours a week. That's seven and a half hours a day that some are on their cell phones, iPads, video games, computers, TV. 
You know, our kids, some of them, have a full-time job just keeping up with the media world. It's amazing. So what does this mean? It means in order to connect with our kids, we have to turn some stuff off, right? We have to turn some stuff off. It goes beyond just scheduling time. It's scheduling time against time that's already dominated by something. We have to set a time where we just simply say, look, I'm sorry, but tonight we're not going to do that. It's going to go off, and, and we're going to spend time together as a family. I'm being active as a family. I don't say this just simply because I've read the research in there to see what it does to a family. It's because I live it, too. I live it, and I, I suspect you do as well. If we're going to make an impact on, on our kids' media for seven and a half hours a day, then we have a tough task transferring God's values. And so we have to understand how significant it is that we create time with our kids. It takes a lot of time. Secondly, it takes a team. You, know, you have to work together as a family. Whether you're a single mom or husband or, or wife with kids, um, you have to develop a team atmosphere. You have to help your family understand we're kind of all on the same page here. Nobody centers and dominates the family. The question often comes up is, who do you put first, your children or your spouse? And certainly there's extremes in either side here, but your marriage, parents, it has to come first. It really does. Why is that? You know, you were married before you had kids. I was married before I had kids. And when they're grown and gone, I'll be married still. And so the, the reason that it's so important that the priority is on the marriage the reason so many people get a divorce at about the 20-year mark is because the kids come along and the emphasis shifts from the wife-husband relationship to kids being the center of everything. Have you ever felt that, parents? Kids being the center? And then you wake up 20 years later and you look at the person next to you and you go, I don't even know you. And now I've got a whole day I've got to spend with you because there's no kid activities because the kids have been so centered. That's why I believe the best thing you can do for your children Parents, it's to love your spouse and to have a healthy relationship with your spouse. Families today are often just too kid-centered, too kid-centered. You know, you look around, mom and dad, you're going nuts just helping your kids get to the activity that they want to be a part of. And that activity is usually no respecter of times. What used to be about a two-practice schedule is now a four-practice schedule in many activities. And so if we do this, if we have child-centered families, here's what we raise, self-centered, insecure children. And so it's so important that we work on the marriage as well. And when we do this, when we have these self-centered uh, families, this child-centered family, the chance for mom and dad to work as a team and to impress values, it just goes out the window. We have to teach our family to all work together. It takes time, team, and thirdly, it takes trust. Henry Cloud's a well-known Christian psychologist, and he says that the number one fear that kids have, it's not drugs, it's not sexually transmitted diseases, the number one fear is that their parents might get a divorce. I was youth pastoring for 16 years, and I could tell you story after story of kids that have been devastated by their family's divorce. They don't always know how to articulate it. Often it comes out in this phrase, I wish my mom and dad were still together. Parents, a strong and loving marriage, that's really one of the best gifts that you can give your children. When you stood at the end of the aisle before a pastor and you said, I do, in a real way, you were saying to your partner, I trust you in this relationship. I trust you that even when times get hard, we will work and carry this thing out. 
When kids trust a relationship between mom and dad, when they see that type of relationship, they can be secure. They can be secure in themselves. They can be secure in their own relationships. And not to mention the roadmap that's put before them on how they can now build relationships with other people, whether it's friends, coworkers, or even one day their own marriage partner. You know, on October 15th, we're having this parents' night out here at the church. At 5.30, you can drop your kids off. I mean, we're really doing this specifically because we're wanting you as parents to know how much we value you spending time together and building your marriage. Now, two of these parent night outs a year is not going to get it done for you. You need to keep working on it, but we want to offer an opportunity. So for two and a half hours, drop your kids off, go to dinner, take a walk, take, you know, have a cup of coffee and talk, you know, go back to your house, and that's all I want to know uh, from that point about that. Um, your kids need to trust the relationship, and so they can build their own relationships. So let's put time into to it. Let's build a team, and let's trust each other. And then, uh, obviously, you know in relationships, one of the biggest things we have to do is we have to talk. We have to talk. The other day on, on Tuesday, I was at Taekwondo with uh, TC, who just got his cast off. And um, we have a rule that you can only be involved in one activity in our family, and he's playing baseball or watching baseball. But he got his cast off, so there was this issue for him of, can I go to Taekwondo and baseball? And we said, you can go to Taekwondo one night. So uh, we went to Taekwondo Tuesday night so he could play around. And as I'm sitting and watching uh, the Taekwondo through the window, I noticed there was a dad in front of me with his little guy. And this guy was small, maybe three years old, four years old. And uh, dad was on the laptop, and kid was on the cell phone playing like a game, something like that. Um, they were in those positions for a whole hour until the, their other son or daughter was done with Taekwondo. What an opportunity it was missed in that hour to interact with his son, his four-year-old son. What an opportunity to talk and to share. That we have to be people that talk, that we spend time communicating together and talking together and sharing together with what life is, what life is like. And this especially includes conflict. You know, um, conflict comes out in every family, in every situation. And there's often two extremes. There's the we yell at each other, we throw things, and we walk out extreme. And then there's the clam up, be quiet, don't say anything extreme. Neither are good, neither are healthy, and neither is what your parents need to, or your kids need to see. You know, my parents, they never fought in front of me. I can't ever remember a fight that they had. And many of you would say, well, that's good, isn't it? That's great. And I think at times, no, not super great. It was great for their relationship. I think they had a solid relationship. But I never got to see how they interacted, how they talked out conflict, how they found resolution. They clearly were not yellers and screamers because I, I would have heard that. But I never got to quite see that. It's important, parents, that your kids see how you manage conflict, how you talk it through. How you say, you know, I, just, I disagree and here's how we're going to find resolution because you're modeling that value to your kids on how you manage healthy relationships. In the extremes category, we either get loud and leave and we ruin relationships or we get quiet and we hold it back and it goes year after year to eventually we just say, I can't handle this more, I'm out. Either way, it doesn't show our kids how healthy relationships endure and how we build that. Some of you might say, parents, you know, we've been walk, trying to talk to our kids or work through things, and we're just not really even getting past first base on the issue. What do we do then? And 
I would encourage you, if, you, if you're working at home on issues and you can't work through the issue, whether it's marriage or kids related, get yourself the help you need. I realize in our world we've built up this big, um, this big fear of Christian counseling or going and sitting to talk to somebody, but you need to get the help that you need. Dads, this often rests with you because most dads have a hard time admitting that they have a problem and the wife ends up being the person that needs to nag and push and eventually call, and often the wife is sitting there by herself talking to a counselor. That doesn't get the job done, guys. So dads, if you feel it's vital, if you're struggling in your marriage with your kids, and you got some problems, just take the first step. Take the first step, whether it's talking with, uh, you know, with your pastor here, or whether it's getting Christian counseling, take the first step and move forward. So parents, we've got the hardest job in the world to raise our kids, right? To instill God's values within them, to help them know and love God, to help them build relationships that are last. It's often so hard that we sit back and we let other people do it for us. You know, who's teaching our kids and families anyway? Is it Hollywood, the government, MTV, you know, the neighborhood kids, maybe gangs, the school, the church, or is it the family? Instilling God's family is the, or excuse me, instilling God's values is the responsibility of the family. It's God's plan A. Plan A, as we find in Deuteronomy 6 today. The church is God's plan B. We're to come along and assist and help, encourage, empower you. But plan A is you. It's you. So parents, what type of family do you want to be? What do you want your family to look like? What type of kids do you want to raise? It's time for us as, as family, or excuse me, as parents to say, let's take control of the situation. Let's not just simply take our kids and drop them off at the paid professionals like we do in dance class and those things, but let's take control and let's help our kids as we love Christ and as we grow in Christ and as we model healthy relationships, let's help our kids to be this. No more excuses or reasons why it's hard or, or that we're busy or don't have enough time. It's just too important to let it go. Simply be the leaders that God wants us to be in our home. Raise spiritual champions. Three things I want to encourage you on real quick as I shared with the men last week, but it applies to us all. The first is just rally your family around the Word of God. If you're not currently spending any time in God's Word in your home, this is your starting point. Every day without fail, feed your family from the Bible. Secondly, just bring your family to church every week. Show up, be involved, serve together, be taught together. Let this opportunity to worship together be central to your kids' lives. And then latch on to some others that can hold you accountable, simply being vulnerable before other people. You know, tonight our small groups continue. Many of them are meeting tonight. Small groups is a great opportunity for you to connect with other Christian parents. Several of our small groups are specifically geared this way, to have a parent and kid involvement or they're kid-friendly. It's a great opportunity for you to come and connect and to be able to share what you're going through and what's, what's happening uh, in your life. In a moment, I want to say uh, a prayer for you as parents, and I want to specifically uh, just got, give God charge over you to teach and to, to mentor you as parents. But I had a phrase I want you to share and want you to say with me and, and let it be embedded in your head as you leave this morning. I'll just read a little and you repeat after me. Parents, read this with me. I'm a parent. And I will accept the responsibility to raise my child as God intended. Now let's go out and do it.
Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are a God that teaches us so many things on parenting because it's your metaphor. It's what you use, our Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, this morning I know that sitting in this room there are some families that are ravished this morning. I know that there's some families that are facing difficulties in their marriage. And, Lord, they've looked good every single week when they sit in church, but they go home and it's rough all week long. And, Father, I want to pray for those marriages, that this is a starting point where they can say, we are ready to work on it. We are ready to get the help we need. We are ready to go before you as our God and receive what you have to offer. And, Lord, there's some others that it's just hard at home, whether it's from their own habits as parents or whether there's a difficulty within the house that, that wasn't even their fault. Lord, we know that there's difficulties that need to be faced. And, Lord, we want to pray for your healing in those situations. We want to pray for all of our kids in the, in the far hallway that are in there learning and growing in you, that they would be ones that we take ownership and raising up to be your spiritual champions. We give this to you all in your son's name, and we pray. Amen. Well, as we finish off our, our time of worship this morning, uh, we're going to take our, our tithes and offerings. And I just wanted to take a, a moment this morning, just two minutes as, as your pastor, to just come before you and, and speak and encourage you in this area. Um, our first uh, five months, January through May, here at the church were, were just great in giving. You know the emails I sent out to you, and I, I was blown away, really, by what the Lord was doing. And, um, but from June to now, it's been, it's been tough financially. Um, our, our giving is, is down quite a bit, and when we've seen significant growth in numbers and small group attendance and, and, and even salvations and those type of things, um, it's come a little bit to, as a surprise to us. So um, I want to encourage you that here at Wendover, we'll only ever teach the biblical model of the 10% tithe and the heartfelt gift. Um, we'll never guilt you into doing anything that the Bible doesn't say to do, but we will teach you with boldness um, to be people that, that tithe and that give. On average, churches, uh, about 33% of people give anything in the church world. I've chosen for me personally not to look at who gives what here at this church because I just value the relationship with you uh, so much, and I don't want that to enter into our conversation uh, at this point. Uh, but I do want to encourage you and challenge you as, as your pastor and your leader. Uh, we will be incredibly responsible here at this church to use the ministry for God's glory and uh, um, for uh, building what he wants us to be as a church. But we want to encourage and empower you to get back in the habit of tithing, uh, get back in the habit of, of giving, uh, giving each time you're here, and if you uh, have to be away one week, to you send it in or, or go do it another means. But uh, it really builds God's, God's community that way. And every once in a while, somebody will say, well, um, you know, God can make it happen if we're low on finances. We believe that 100%. Um, but know that God doesn't necessarily have to do anything supernatural here. He's already given us. He's already given us the teaching and the model for how it works in the church world. And it's that we give of our tithes and we give when God moves our heart. So I'd encourage you that this morning, and, and certainly our, our desire is not to do a bunch of browbeating on it, just to be faithful to God's word. All right? All right. The Lord bless you as you give.